0: Hello, Lakers. Welcome to a splash of murder. I'm Heather, and I'll be your guide today on a lake with some eerie history. We're not here for the views of the water. We're here for what lies beneath. So strap on your life jackets and get ready to climb aboard. Get comfortable lakers today we are taking a deep dive let's start at the beach gaviosha state beach is a tiny gem hidden away in southern california the tiny beach offers a quiet serene area to sit and enjoy the views of the ocean hiking trails leading to the wind caves and its own towering railway trestle it's a beautiful area to relax in the sun today when thinking of the beach in southern california people may bring up the strong winds or the porpoises they saw along the shoreline. But almost 60 years ago, the topic of this beach would be much different, much darker. A tradition old as time, Senior Ditch Day. It was June 4th, 1963, and Lompoc High School students Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards were taking full advantage of this day off. With only a few days until graduation, they decided to spend the day in the sun. They headed to the beach close to Gaviosha State Park and set a blanket in the sand close to the water, sunbathing, maybe even enjoying a quick swim in the cold waters, while just enjoying each other's company. They could have never foreseen the terror that was to meet them on that picturesque beach. The details of what happened on the beach that day are for the most part unknown but we can speculate from the evidence left behind that they were approached on the beach by someone holding a 22 caliber weapon. Shell casings recovered at the crime scene were identified as Winchester Western Super X copper-coated. The gun alone more than likely caused the couple to freeze where they were. This gunman then directed Linda to tie up Robert, which she complied. However, he was able to break free, and they both tried to run. They were then shot, Robert being shot 11 times, and Linda being shot 9 times. Their killer then dragged their bodies to a shed, where he cut off Linda's bathing suit and set the shed ablaze. When Robert and Linda never returned home from the beach, Robert's father became so concerned, he decided to go out looking for the couple. He would unfortunately be the one to discover their burnt bodies in the shed the next day. This murder is still unsolved, However many theories to who may be responsible for this killing are in discussions even today, this is because this couple's murder eerily resembles the murders happening during that time period in California. This killer does not have a name; he was never caught, but most have heard of him. He is claimed to have killed as many as thirty-seven people. He has been officially linked to five, and it was the killer himself that would coin his own nickname, the Zodiac Killer. The first confirmed attack done by the Zodiac happened on Lake Herman Road, December 20th, 1968. Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday were out on their first date. It was five days until Christmas and the couple decided to head over to an area known as Lover's Lane. Shortly after 11, A passerby noticed the car parked and then saw two lifeless bodies laying on the side of the road. When police arrived, Betty Lou was dead and David was close to death. Betty Lou had five bullet wounds in her back and David had been shot in the head. After seeing bullet holes in the car's roof and window, police theorized the killer snuck up to the car, ordered the couple to get out and then shot in the car to pressure them to comply. Once they exited the car, he killed them. Shell casings, recovered at the crime scene, identified ammunition as Winchester Western Super X copper-coated and matched the ammunition used for a twenty-two caliber semi-automatic pistol. 4th of July, 1969 Darlene Farron was 22 years old. She was married and had a daughter. She worked at a local restaurant, a Waffle House. She was out with 19-year-old Michael Mayhew that night. She picked him up and drove over to Lover's Lane, close to a golf course. It was the night of the 4th, so of course fireworks were going off all around the area, which may have helped disguise the sounds of the gunshots which happened next. A little after midnight, on July 5th, A car pulled into the area that Darlene and Michael were parked. It sat for a short amount of time and then left, only to return again. This time, when it returned, a man stepped out of the car and approached Darlene's vehicle, holding a flashlight in the windows. Both Darlene and Michael had assumed it was a police officer and had their IDs ready. However, they were met with gunshots following the blinding light in their eyes. The man had approached the passenger side and began shooting. Michael instinctively threw himself into the back seat. Darlene took the brunt of the assault, being shot nine times. Michael, knowing he was injured, began screaming when he thought the man had left. This caused the man to return and shoot two more times into the car. A call to police was made from a local caretaker's house. He told police he thought he had just heard gunshots. However, Police disregarded this complaint as they were convinced it was fireworks. Three teenagers in the area came across the carnage. When they called police, explaining how two people were shot in a car and needed help, police realized they should have responded to the first call that night. Then a third call was placed to police. The caller said, I want to report a double murder. If you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway to the public park. You will find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9 millimeter Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye." Michael would be the only one to survive that night, being shot in the jaw, shoulder, and leg. He was able to give a description of the man he believed shot them and the events that night. I will mention that Michael was not Darlene's husband. In fact, She was married to her second husband, Dean Farron. at the time. Darlene was known to date other men throughout her marriages, and in no way am I judging her. The reason for even mentioning this is that it brings about more suspects. Men, including her husband, possibly scorned or jealous. She was even known to have dated police officers in the sheriff's department. In no way is her infidelity a justification for murder, However, it does open the door for people of interest. Naturally in these cases, the first suspect is the husband. However, he had an alibi. He was at work. In fact, his boss came back to the house with him after work to find the babysitter still there and Darlene not home. Dean, however, wasn't concerned because Darlene according to him was always late. So, could Darlene have known her killer? Very possible. Her sister seems to think so. In fact, her sister is convinced Darlene was stalked before the night of her murder. Many rumors about Darlene have surfaced after her death, including the possibility that she had been involved in something criminal before her death. None of this has been substantiated. However, the third call to the police that night was another story. The call was traced to a payphone in front of the Vallejo Sheriff's Office. The information about the murder and the murder weapon had yet to be released. Only a few police officers had even known a shooting had happened at the time of the call. So, this was the first real evidence that the killer had reached out to police. This phone call was followed by communication in the form of letters on July 31, 1969. Three newspapers, the San Francisco Chronicle, the San Francisco Examiner, and the Vallejo Times-Herald received the following letter. I will read the letter as it is, with errors included. Dear Editor, This is the murderer of two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman, and the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo. To prove I killed them, I shall state some facts which only I, the police, know. Christmas. 1. Brand name of Ammo Super X. 2. Ten shots were fired. Three. The boy was on his back with his feet to the car. Four. The girl was on her right side, feet to the west, 4th July. One. Girl was wearing patterned slacks. Two. The boy was also shot in the knee. Three. Brand name of ammo was Western. Over here is part of a cipher. The other two parts of the cipher are being mailed to the editors of the Vallejo Times and SF Examiner. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. In this cipher, in my identity, if you do not print this cipher, by the afternoon of Friday 1st and August 69, I will go on a kill rampage Friday night, I will cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again, until I end up with dozen people over the weekend. It was signed with a symbol of a circle and a cross throughout the circle resembling a bullseye target or the sight of a gun. A cipher followed this letter. Shapes, backwards letters, and other symbols meant to mess with the minds of the community. The News Chronicle was the only paper that fully complied with the killer's demands. On August 3rd, when all the ciphers had been printed, it wouldn't be the professional analysts to solve the cipher, but a couple from Salinas, a high school teacher and his wife, spent 20 hours on and off, cracking the cipher. The encrypted message read, I like killing people, because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest, because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience, it is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when i die i will be reborn in paradise and all that i have killed will become my slaves i will not give you my name because you will try to slow me down or stop my collecting of slaves for the afterlife on august 7th 1969 the zodiac was unaware that the cipher had been broken when he sent yet another letter to the newspapers dear editor this is the zodiac speaking In answer to your asking for more details about the good times I've had in Vallejo, I shall be very happy to supply even more material. By the way, are the police having a good time with the code? If not, tell them to cheer up. When they crack it, they'll have me. On the 4th of July, I did not open the car door. The windows were rolled down already. The boy was originally sitting in the front seat when I began firing. When I fired the first shot at his head, he leaped backwards at the same time, thus spoiling my aim. He ended up on the back seat, then the floor, and back thrashing out very violently with his legs. That's how I shot him in the knee. I did not leave the scene of the killing with squealing tires and racing engines, as described in the Vallejo paper. I drove away quite slowly so as not to draw attention to my car. The man who told the police that my car was brown was a Negro, about 40 to 45, rather shabbily dressed. I was at this phone booth having some fun with the Vallejo cops when he walked right by. When I hung up the phone, up the damn thing began to ring, and that drew his attention to me, and my car. Last Christmas, in that episode, the police were wondering as to how I could shoot and hit my victims in the dark. They did not openly state this, but implied this by saying it was well-lit night, and I could see the silhouettes on the horizon. Bullshit. That area is surrounded by high hills and trees. What I did was tape a small pencil flashlight to the barrel of my gun. If you notice, in the center of the beam of the light, if you aim it at the wall or ceiling, you will see a black or dark spot in the center of the circle, about three to six inches across. When taped to the gun barrel, the bullet will strike exactly in the center of the black dot in the light. All I had to do was spray them as if it was a water hose. There was no need to use the gun sights. I was not happy to see. I did not get the front page coverage. Letters continued to come into the paper, and investigators hoped that one of these letters would lead to the break they needed to find and stop this killer. However, the zodiac would strike again. On September 27, 1969, a couple was relaxing on the shoreline of Lake Berryessa near Napa, California. Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard had planned a day at the beach with a blanket and a picnic. A beautiful day, until a man dressed in a black hooded costume with a white symbol of a circle and cross, approached them, holding a gun. He explained to the couple that he had just escaped from prison and needed to get to Mexico. If they gave him money and their car, they would live. The couple complied and gave them the keys and small amount of money they had. When he bound their wrists together and had them lay face down on the ground, they followed his instructions, believing they were only going to be robbed, but then, the man plunged a knife into Brian's back. He stabbed Brian six times, and Brian played dead. Cecilia was then attacked, stabbing her in both the back and chest as she fought and struggled to get away. She was stabbed ten times. After the hooded killer felt he was done, he threw the money and keys on the blanket. He wasn't interested in their possessions, only in taking their lives. He then walked to Brian's car took a pen and drew the circle and cross with dates of previous victims, and then he included September twenty seventh, 1969, 6.30 by knife. At 7.40, a call to the Napa Police Department was received, describing a double murder and Brian's car. The caller said, I want to report a murder, no a double murder, they are two miles north of Park headquarters. They were in a white Volkswagen Carmen Gia. I'm the one who did it. Brian would survive this attack. However, Cecilia died two days later. Had it not been for the message on Brian's car and the phone call, police may not have connected this attack to the Zodiac. His entire MO had changed a knife, a costume, daylight. It was as if the killer was playing with new ways to mess with the heads of the police and society as if they had no idea what to look for because he could evolve into a different killer. He would yet again evolve, two weeks later, when on October 11, 1969, he hailed a cab. Paul Stein, a 28-year-old student and husband, worked as a cab driver in San Francisco. When coming close to the original destination, the Zodiac spotted a man walking his dog and asked Paul to drive a couple of blocks up the road. When the cab came to a stop, The Zodiac wrapped his arm around Paul's neck, put a gun to his head, and pulled the trigger. This time, however, he was seen. A girl and two brothers witnessed this killer enter the passenger side, take Paul's wallet, and then wipe down the interior of the car. This time, not only did he take the wallet, but he also took a piece of Paul's blood-stained shirt the witnesses called police and described the killer as a white male with a dark jacket however the report over the radio was n m a negro male adult so not only did police royally screw up the description of the killer but two police officers going off of the false description that night spoke to a man headed in the same direction as the killer was described as heading he was a white male in a dark jacket. They asked him if he saw anything, and the man said he saw a man waving a gun running down another street. The police took off on this lead, and once again, the Zodiac walked away free. And once again, a letter was received by newspapers. This is the Zodiac speaking. I am the murderer of the taxi driver over by Washington Street and Maple Street last night. To prove this, here is a bloodstained piece of his shirt. I am the same man who did it in the people in the North Bay area. The SF police could have caught me last night if they had just searched the park properly instead of holding road races with the motorcycles, seeing who could make the most noise. The car drivers should have just parked their cars and sat there quietly waiting for me to come out of the cover. School children make nice targets. I think I shall wipe out a school bus some morning, just shoot out the front tyre and then pick off the kiddies as they come bouncing out. And again, More letters were received at the newspapers. March 22nd, 1970. Kathleen Johns was on her way to see her mother. She had her infant child with her and was also seven months pregnant. As she drove down the highway, a car began flashing their lights at her. They pulled alongside of her and let her know that her back tire appeared to be loose. She pulled over and the man parked behind her. He then got out of the car with a tire iron. And began working on her tire. He waved to her that he had fixed it for her and got back in his car driving away. Kathleen, who was initially fearful, had felt a little bit more relaxed now. She began to drive off, but her back tire almost fell off. The man who had attempted to fix the tire had not driven too far and turned around to see what was wrong. He took a look at the tire and said that this was even worse than he had initially thought and offered her a ride to the service station. Packing her infant into the car with the man, they began to drive. The man, whom she thought was a good Samaritan, then looked at her and said, You know I'm going to kill you. You know you're going to die. Kathleen took the first opportunity to flee the car when the man got stuck on an off-ramp leading to the highway. She tumbled out of the car with her child and hid in a ditch until flagging down a trucker to get help. A letter followed this attack. This is the Zodiac speaking. I am rather unhappy because you people will not wear some nice buttons, so I now have a little list, starting with the woman and her baby that I gave a rather interesting ride for a couple hours one evening a few months back that ended in me burning her car where I found them. The Zodiac Killer continued to mail letters, looking for attention and making demands. Until he faded out. Now the mystery remains. Not only to who he is, but who all he killed in the beginning, I told you about Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards. The couple on the beach, whom were approached by a man with a gun, who were shot to death and shells collected at the scene match the same brand of bullet shells found at other zodiac victims' crime scenes. Robert and Linda are not officially listed as zodiac victims in fact. The Zodiac is not officially connected to any killings after Paul Stein. The letters between the time of Betty Lou Jensen and Paul Stein were filled with details of the crimes that were not made public. After Paul Stein, the letters kept coming, and the people listed in the letters were in fact murdered, but the details were public knowledge. No more ciphers came. No more real proof. So was this the killer or was this a copycat? The details that we have of Robert and Linda's death are eerily similar to the Zodiac's original M.O. There are some who have linked earlier murders and later murders to the Zodiac, however, I believe that the death of Robert and Linda seemed to hold the most significant similarities. Letters came in until 1974, however, none were taken to be legitimate. A postcard said to be from the Zodiac had an advertisement for a condominium project in Lake Tahoe, Nevada with the phrase, Past Lake Tahoe Areas and Sought Victim 12. There are some who believe that this message is referring to 25-year-old Donna Lass, who worked close to the area where the cab driver was killed and had moved to Lake Tahoe for work. She disappeared September 6, 1970. There is also a lot of controversy around the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, a college student from Riverside who was murdered October 6th, 1966, having her throat cut. A letter claiming her as a victim was later debunked, and the person who wrote the letter admitted it was fake and they just wanted attention. However, people still researching these cases believe she is linked, and not only that, but they name a suspect they believe to be the Zodiac. Gary Francis Post, an Air Force veteran who painted houses for a living, believed to be the leader of his own little posse of what is dubbed the Killing Machines. A group of young men, he is believed to have trained to be killers. People believe he lived a double life with wife and kids in the suburbs, and then a killer in the streets. This isn't impossible, as we have seen in other serial killers living double lives successfully for years. He died in 2018, after he had pushed his wife down the stairs and being jailed for the attack. He was in his late 70s. Whether or not he was the Zodiac is up for debate. Some claim he was an actual killer without a conscience, and some say he was a nice man who lived a quiet life as a house painter. A police sketch has similarities to Post. It also resembles other men that have been suspected over the years. The Zodiac Killer had an ego. He was about the attention and the thrill of taunting the community. He terrorized and murdered for years. Today, ciphers remain unsolved, as well as so many questions unanswered. However, technology is always evolving. Just look at the Golden Gate Killer case solved in 2018 with the use of forensic genealogy. There isn't much evidence. However, police did manage to make a partial profile using saliva from a stamp mailed from the Zodiac. We can only hope that we can soon solve the mystery of the Zodiac Killer. Okay, Lakers, it's time to dock. Next week, join me on another creepy adventure on a murderous lake. But until then, stay safe and be kind to one another.